there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. Is that the name of this podcast, Jeff Cork? It's been a while. That's a really stupid name for a podcast. It's pretty great. Uh, I am your host this time around. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Jeff Cork. My name is Jeff Cork. How many people still have this in their <laughs> iTunes feed is the real question. I have no idea. Is that even a thing you can count? Uh, I don't know. It was... I remember the last episode I said, what are the odds of us taking more than two months off? And you said zero. Really? Yes. And it has been... A lot of months since we recorded the Twilight Not Highlight Zone. zero. But this is our first special edition of the Twilight Highlight Zone, which we originally planned to do so many of. Yes. I still want to do. I'd like to do more. I, I'm excited to do this. We haven't even done this one, though, so let's not get too far. This could be a complete disaster. So what we're doing with this one. What are we doing with this one? Is we uh-huh. watched the Twilight Zone movie. Twilight Zone the movie. It was called Twilight Zone the movie from 1983. That's correct. The best year for cinema, if you ask me. Oh, my gosh. Now, okay, you were alive during this. I was dead, uh, personally. (laughs) Yes. What was it like? Describe the the buzz around town. I want to talk about what it was like before you were born. What was that like for you? (laughs) Oh, look, we'll get to that after (laughs) this. That's amazing. That's not important. What was it like for me? I remember I was 10 and... Listening to Midnight Special. Listening to CCR. It was like, (laughs) if there was some CCR going on... My ears perked up like a werewolf, and I could just <laughs> tell it was going on. So I was like, I need to see this movie. I think I saw this when I was around 12. Wow. And First exposure to Twilight Zone, right? Yeah. I think I'd seen maybe an episode or two like an, in reruns, but okay. it was just, it wasn't like it is now where you could just kind of watch whatever you want. It was like, you just catch it, and you're like, oh, okay, this is weird. Yeah. And yeah, that was my first real exposure. Though. So I guess that's a roundabout way of saying yes. You're correct. Did, did it have a big impact on the culture when it came out? I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. I remember it made me think I liked The Twilight Zone. Okay. Even Is, though I was not really familiar with it. Here's a question. Yes. Genuine question. Let's hear it. If you did not watch that movie, do you think you would have had any interest in doing this podcast? Yes. Did, you think so? Okay. Absolutely. So it's not like this movie opened that door for you originally and made you nostalgic for the concept of The Twilight Zone. The key to the door of imagination? That's right. That's what I'm it, asking. It put that in my pocket. And yeah. you, So had you seen it since then? Um, I'd, I've seen it a couple times, but not since I watched the show. Right, right. Not no. since you know it that well. Just throughout the years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always heard about it. People always referenced it. Uh, I had never seen it until last night. And here's the interesting thing. Yeah. We'll get into this later, so I, I don't want to say too much. Uh-huh. I remember this being, like, the first time I saw it when I was younger. Well, I guess every time I was younger. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, the first time I remember going, that was awesome. I thought that was great. The and entire I, movie. I thought it was great. And I watched it again later on. I was probably, like, 15, 16, 17 with uh-huh. like some of my buddies in, in junior high or high school. I guess high school. Cool. I was like pretty cool times and i remember thinking this movie is pretty cool just like me are you fast forwarding through some parts or how does this work no i thought it was all pretty great and we'll we'll touch on this later because i was a dumb kid <laughs> apparently we had the absolute worst taste in things but we'll, wow. again we'll dig into that on an episode by episode basis and i believe it'll be a systematic dismantling of my opinions from that era. Could be. Could go either way. Could go either way. 
so the Twilight Zone movie. Yes. Twilight Zone, the movie, I Twilight should say. Twilight Zone, the movie. The movie opens with wide shots of lonely roads. Oh, the lonely highway. And a car traveling down the road and mm-hmm. a little little song playing from a band called CCR. Credence Clearwater. Clear, clear, wider, clear water revisited. And you know who's driving? <laughs> a young Al Brooks. Albert Brooks is driving this car, and he's sitting next to Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb. I don't know if you know. <laughs> No, it's Dan Aykroyd, everybody. Young, young Dan Aykroyd. Young Dan Aykroyd. They both look so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're singing along to some CCR. It's Midnight Special. Midnight Special, talking about how much they love that. But and they're, they're doing the classic guys in a movie singing along, so they're like doing air drums, and they're off just enough to let you know, okay, they're kind of having But not fun. so off that it's immediately clear it's supposed to be comedic. Yeah. Like, you don't know what they're going for. They're two funny guys. Mm-hmm. Not really being that funny, dancing yeah. in a, you know, not exactly over-the-top way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the new tape player, uh, or 8-track, whatever the hell that is. Okay, thank you. It eats the tape. Ah, so they, it out. Yeah, they lose their beautiful CCR. They don't know what they're going to do. The radio, this is an odd detail, mm-hmm. he says, the radio won't work because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And this radio, by the way, has two buttons on the tape deck. Eject and fast forward, just to <laughs> like set you a time and place of what's going on in 1983. It's a pretty good time. He's like, ah, it was a new tape. <laughs> Brooks says. So they have no radio, they have no tape, mm-hmm. and so they're like, hey, how about you name this tune? And this. Whoa, start- wait a second. Oh, please. Remember, Albert Brooks is like, you want to see something scary? And he does this headlight thing where he's like, we're driving along this road, and then suddenly. What's that up ahead? A rock kicks up and Nick's knocks the headlights out. And he turns the headlights out. Dan Aykroyd, passenger seat, a little uncomfortable. And he's like, okay, okay, I get it, whatever. And turn, they turn the lights back on. And then the theme song thing. Yeah. So then they go back and forth whistling theme songs. And it's like, at this point, I started dreading, oh, man, are they going to do Twilight Zone? Yeah, because they're doing can... like the Hawaii Five O theme. Right. And, and I should give you an aside here. That National Geographic bit. Yeah. Where he's like. Look at the old man. He looks like an old ape. That line has not left me. Like I remember, I think about that probably at least once a week. Is the specifically the old man? This must be where they live. It is good. Probably probably the funniest thing from the intros when Albert Brooks is doing the dumb National Geographic theme. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It must be worth a buck. Uh, Elmer Brooks's best work, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. It's great. So, I was really dreading that they were eventually going to start whistling the Twilight Zone theme. Yes. They do not. Yeah. Instead, the the theme song thing dies down. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is going to be a two-hour podcast just yeah. on this intro. Because <laughs> it's going somewhere, kids. I love it. So, interesting you'd say that. So, Dan Aykroyd then, in a little lull of conversation, just says, Hey, you remember you remember that show Twilight Zone? Yeah. Like it's this obscure old thing. And maybe in the eighties, I feel like you wouldn't you wouldn't have to ask that now. Everyone would be like, Yeah, Twilight Zone, we get it. Mm-hmm. But it's kinda like, you know, that Star Wars effect, like Star Wars in the nineteen ninety. Yeah. It's like, hey, remember Star Wars? We'd be like, Oh yeah, I guess. It's not just a mm-hmm. recurring part of culture. Yeah, like exactly. I guess Twilight Zone is now. Uh but it's like, Oh yeah, I love Twilight Zone. And then they start bringing up episodes. Mm-hmm. They bring up um Time Enough at Last, of mm-hmm. course. Then immediately go to the other, like, time episode, the certain kind of stopwatch. Yeah. 
uh, and then they debate whether or not that's an Outer Limits episode, which I thought was also a yeah. really funny moment. Yeah. Uh, He's like, oh, that's an Outer Limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just dismisses it completely. But the, the interesting thing, though, is that Dan Aykroyd, when he's talking about Twilight Zone, yeah. is like, that show was scary. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I, I was immediately like, I don't, either these characters don't really have a fundamental grasp of the Twilight Zone, or... I don't know, man. I think the lasting Twilight Zone episodes throughout time, I think I think you would ask most baby boomers, uh-huh. what's the Twilight Zone like? And they'd all say it's scary, probably because they watched it as kids, and so certain episodes will stand out There's to them. There's certainly scary things. Right. But I would say, like, I, I guess I, maybe it's just my the choice of wording. It's always yeah. like, that's a weird show. You know? Right, right. I mean, keep in mind, you just watch through every single one. If right. you're trying to recall memories, mm-hmm. you know, I'll ask your kid 20 years from now, what's the Twilight Zone like? Yeah. like oh, it's the scariest show ever made. He's yeah. not going to be like, they had some nuanced political commentary going on in there. Boy, Ron Serling really wanted to go back to his childhood. Didn't really didn't want to die, did he? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. In how many movies based on shows is the show existing within that universe? I have this written down as well. Because it's a very interesting idea. I have one example. How many do you have? I didn't come up with examples. I have like a wrinkle on that idea, but let's talk about your example. The only other one I can think of where mm-hmm. the movie based on the TV show, where the TV show still exists within that movie's universe, mm-hmm. is the Bewitched movie with Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman from a couple years ago, where they really? try and reboot Bewitched. Then they find out that it is Samantha or that she hmm. is a witch or something. That's the only example. I, I haven't watched the remake of 21 Jump Street. They never talk about that. Great question. Mm-hmm. I love those movies. No. Interesting. No, no, no. That's that's still the same world. It's not a TV show. Okay, so yeah. here's a question then. So within this movie, Twilight Zone exists as a show. Right. But as we'll talk about in very short time, weird stuff goes down, right? Right. Is this the same universe as that episode... In the first season, this first season finale, mm, where Rod question. Serling makes an appearance. Whew. Uh, a world of his own? Yeah. So that's gone? I, I mean, it would have to be if it's in the Twilight Zone canon. Right. But talking about the different universes of this movie, I think they're all existing in slightly different universes. Okay. And I think that the opening is in the same universe mm-hmm. as sequence four. Because not to jump ahead, but in sequence four is the only other time Twilight Zone is referenced because one of the people on the plane has a Twilight Zone book in their hand. So that is also within the universe. Okay. And not to jump on things anymore, mm-hmm. but it's also in the same universe as the opening. It's a sim- these are like similar, shittier universes, would you say? Um. Yeah, I would say that. Okay. So they're talking about the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And it was scary. Oh, the scariest. And they talk about the outer limits. Oh, that was outer limits. Mm-hmm. Then Dan Aykroyd gets a real impish look on his face. And he says, you want to see something really scary? And Al Brooks says, I keep calling him Al. Is he, does he go by Albert? I don't know. You know his original name? What? Albert Einstein. That man. It's true. Is that Albert Einstein. It's true. He renamed himself uh, Super Brooks. Dave Al Einstein? Is that really his, yeah. his brother's name? Yeah. Super Dave Al Einstein. Okay, anyway. He's like, you want to see something really scary? And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay, you're going to have to pull over the car. And then he's like, ugh. And you can tell these guys don't really know each other very well either. Really? I guess I didn't really have that impression. Because they're like, well, because before they do the theme song stuff. Like, what are we going to talk about? Like, well, we've we, talked about everything. We've talked about where we're from and all that other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's not a, quite a hitchhiker situation, but I, I got the sense they were buddies. 
Well, that's this leads into this because uh-huh. they pull over, right? Yeah, and he's like, "Okay, you see something really scary," and he's like, "Okay." So then Dan Aykroyd turns his head, and he pulls it back, and he's like the dumbest looking ghoul that you can possibly imagine. And then a cougar roar plays wow. as he then yeah. shakes Albert Brooks, mm-hmm. and then it fades to Twilight Zone theme as I guess Albert Brooks is dying. He doesn't yeah. like eat him, doesn't bite him. I think he must do that off camera. Because it, it I mean, also. This is why I'm assuming that they're not friends, because why would you do that? <laughs> it really. Well, look, there's a lot of questions you can ask about this opening. <laughs> also directed by the guy who did the first section, John Landis. Mm-hmm. So maybe John Landis is just super into transformations. And so just this is thing. Between like the th- thriller video uh-huh. and American Werewolf in Paris, it's like he's got to have his dumb transformation sequence did he do paris or london or did he that's the same thing london sorry yeah whatever it is is paris actually a movie is it a sequel i don't know it's a different <laughs> I'm familiar with the lore. yeah yeah so maybe he just saw that as his mo and so therefore he had to actually get in there mm-hmm. and have that stupid transformation right it's opening the twilight zone movie with the dumbest most pointless gag it just it's like something out of like goosebumps it really is, especially because it totally <laughs> like sucks the wind out of an entire segment later in the movie because it's the same essential thing as the gremlin on the wing. How so? The shock of so- seeing something spooky. Sure. Like the really scary face. Like, yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah, I can see that. It's just, it strikes me as just a, something so incredibly stupid and cheap. And it looks terrible. And it looks terrible. That's typically not what Twilight Zone is about. It's not usually going no. for the stupid, cheap, incredibly simple yep. scare. Yeah, the horror of it has always been unsettling and weird. Yeah. And it is, I, I'll give it to you. Okay, there are scary parts of the Twilight Zone. There's some really right. scary stuff. But it is never just cheap stupidity, which this is completely that. Yeah, and I know that like everybody tried to corner Rod Sterling and describing it as like a monster type show mm-hmm. and it was a scary show and he always resisted that and even like you know night gallery and they wanted to pitch him and have him create other shows that were more like monster of the week type stuff he's right. always like ah, i'm not into that it's not no. really what i'm about and that's all this is yeah it's just the one stupid scare so then fades up twilight zone intro plays mm-hmm. a new version of it there's right. some holograms and a bunch of other nonsense in there burgess meredith is doing the vo that was now. a really nice touch I yeah like as a nice tip of the cap uh it's really nice to hear the twilight zone theme again Mm-hmm. But we're reviewing all these segments, Cork. And if you had to review that opening segment, that opening segment. Okay, here's the deal. I think there. Are, I'm not prepared for this part, but I'm, gonna, uh-huh. I'm just going to talk through my process. Please. Multiple facets to this opening. Yeah. I like the National Geographic part a lot. Uh huh. And everything else is terrible. <laughs> so what do you so, have, man? I would give this opening sequence. Probably a three or four. What okay. do you think? Probably a, let's say three. Okay. I, I had a one written down. Okay. Um, bumping it up to two because you reminded me how much I enjoy the National Geographic. Right? <laughs> part's really fun. Yeah. So we're up to a two for that opening sequence. All right. Uh, first sequence. The first sequence. Okay. I guess it's officially, they never label it in the movie, even in the credits, Mm-mm. but on the internet they call it Time Out. We run into, let's see, this guy, William Connor. He's a... 
I think it does one of those portrait of a sad, angry man kind yep. of things, a bitter man. Yeah, well written. Very Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's Burgess Meredith again. Uh-huh. He's doing all the intros. He doesn't just do the Twilight Zone theme song. Right. And he's going into uh, the Tender Trap Bar. And he seems like a really cool guy. Advertises sports events. And um, sport events, sorry. And gets in there, meets his buddies. They're all going out for a drink. And uh, I like this era of movies, just kind of an aside, because uh-huh. everyone wore gray suits. Which is something you mm. re- don't really see That's true. that much of anymore. And also, like this era of movies, because your buddies might have a small role in the thing. That's true. Uh, <laughs> the guy whose head detaches. Yeah, it's yeah, nice to absolutely. see him. Absolutely. Our old friend. Yeah, I was wondering where. It, yeah, completely. So, anyway, he meets his friends, and you can tell he's having a really crappy day. And they're like, hey, what's going on? He's like, uh, he was up for a promotion, and then this Goldman guy, this Jew bastard, got the job. And instantly, like, oh, that's right. I remember this episode. <laughs> Because they forget, this is an era which I find very interesting, is when they had a character that was racist, they would just straight up show the racist stuff. They wouldn't just have, like, the, so he's talking about this Goldman guy. Yeah. He's Jewish, um, and he calls up, I don't really know how far I should take this. Yeah, yeah, no, but, take it all the way. Should take I just it, do it? Absolutely take it all the way. This is what, okay, he calls him a kike. Yeah. And it was like, ooh, just, just see that. And then and then his friend is like, um, well, you know, he's talking about, oh, I don't know why Goldman needs that. You know, the Jews already own everything. And then his friend is like, well, they don't own everything. The Arabs won't let them. And then, oh, ha, ha, ha. And he's like, Arab. What's an Arab? It's just a N-word. We'll just, we'll just uh-huh. give it the benefit of the doubt there uh-huh. just for their, I, I, in, a, in a sheet. With a sheet on his head or something stuff. like that. And it was just like, and at that point, there's some gentlemen at this table behind him that are all like black dudes in suits. And they're like, do we have a problem here? Very polite black <laughs> men turn around uh, as he's dropping the N-bombs. And then he's screaming about how he's better than some African spear chucker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the guy is just like, and then then his, then Will Bill guy is talking about how he fought gooks in Korea and then he's talking this about This is all before he even has his beer. He's yeah. just down at this bar and just, just immediately he, he like, has just a laundry list of insults that he has to get through. But it's a pretty subtle character. A very subtle character. This is uh Yeah, and he, his house is owned by a, a Jap bank and oh. he fought him in Korea. Yeah, he's really like an <laughs> unlovable really, Archie Bunker. Even more so. It's just <laughs> completely awful. So Again, he 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 leaves. Well, it, first first he slowly holds up uh like flashcards mm-hmm. of different uh, races, and then gives a strong <laughs> thumbs down and looks in the camera, pinches his nose. P U, <laughs> that's what he says. Uh, white only, please. <laughs> he has like a little speech about how he fought for this country and right. he's a patriot and all this other stuff. It's just a just the worst. Not even the worst. It's a condensed version of the worst. It's (laughs) It's just to the point that it defies all reality. Yeah. Have you? Genuine question. Yes. Break your podcast character for a second. Okay. Have you ever encountered an anti-Semite in your life? An anti-Semite in my life? No. Not that. Not to that degree. Well, not to that degree. I mean, look, no one's ever encountered somebody to that degree. Hitler wasn't to that degree. I mean, like, anybody who's ever even used... Like the word kike? No. In a non-joking, ironic way, if that even I've counts. I've never even heard. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just. It's such a weird thing, yeah. It may be in different parts of the country or a different time, but just that seems so foreign to me. 
that anybody out there is going to be like, sit down in a bar and be like, oh, these Jews. Yeah. Get a load of these this Jews. Goldman guy. Anyway, and the guy, and they bring up, they're like, well, Goldman, hasn't he been working the firm longer yeah, yeah, than yeah. you? Yeah, but I'm better. Right. I right, work right. hard. I'm working for this promotion. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I had such a weird, like, conception of what business was. It's like, you're always gunning for a promotion. That's neither here nor well, there. Well, that's like you at your current job. The work. Um, so anyway, he goes to the bathroom to ex- he excuses himself because I don't know he's gonna go punch a wall or something. And the uh, the black guys are like, "Sorry about your friend." <laughs> it was pretty nice. So he goes to the bathroom door and opens it, and then he's immediately transported to looks like the the Nazi era Germany. Well, World I don't know how you II. could tell that. There's this giant graffiti on the walls that says, kill all the Jews. <laughs> yeah, it's very subtle with trying to stamp a time and a place yeah, on Yeah, big Nazi poster, lots of swastikas. I and... think this is nitpicky. Mm-hmm. I think they might have been going for occupied France. Really? Because that house later on that he goes into, that lady was speaking French. Interesting. So let's talk about that when there's, we get there. Yeah, there's a lot of swastikas all over the place. So anyway, he's looking confused, as you would, because he just wanted to use the bathroom. Uh, this truck comes by, a little Jeep. And there's some Nazis on it. They're obviously on patrol. And they're all smiling, cruel, cartoonish 80s Nazis. And they kind of flip through, like flip his tie up because he looks weird. And, yeah, make uh, fun of his credit cards. Yeah, go through, ask to see his papers. And, you know, he gives them his, they grab his wallet. And they see his MasterCard or whatever. And there's a bit of a scuffle. And he runs away. They shoot at him and it kind of clips his arm. And he ducks into an alley. Uh, they're chasing after him, and he hides under a big pile of trash. Finds some new shoes. He deserves to be in that trash. He you is know, below trash. Where does the trash begin, and where does he end? That's great the, question. That's the fundamental great question. question. It makes you think, doesn't it? So they they kind of go down the alleyway, but they can't find him, and then they start blowing a whistle and then run off. So he opens this door that's right there, and fortunately it's unlocked. It's an apartment, and there's a, like a family that's getting ready to eat dinner, and he's like, hey, you got to help me. You know, I'm being chased or whatever. And they right. just look at him like, huh? And then she, the the mom hears the whistle and they're like, hey, in French. Hey, he's in here. Get a load of this guy. So he's like, Dah! and he starts running. And at this point, the music sounds a lot like classic Twilight Zone music, which I think was pretty cool. It's yeah. just kind of that weird dissonant sure. orchestral stuff. Right, right. Um, he climbs out the window. Climbs out the window and it. <laughs> like he, he's, but it's like a little tiny ledge. Yeah. So then the, the Nazis are there. They pull up and they see him, and then they're doing like the super cruel Nazi thing where they they're like shooting at him, kind of like tracing around him. Well, yeah, and then they're this. also trying to get him from either side. And this yeah. is my best part, my favorite part, where one of the Nazis is like going out the window to try and grab him, mm-hmm. and just immediately falls to his ah! death. <laughs> just immediately. It's like, all right, well, I'm glad within the first 10 minutes of Twilight Zone, the movie, they have a guy falling out of a window to his death. Yeah, absolutely. So the Nazis, you know, they're they're shooting at him and stuff, and and he falls. Uh, so then he stands up, and uh, and and it's the rednecks, and they're saying, we got you now. And then they drop an N-bomb, and, uh, hey, it's the Ku Klux Klan. They're after this fella, and he's like, I'm white, I'm white. burning crosses. And oh, man, the whole thing. Southern accents, and, and there's dogs, and they they throw a rope over a tree, and his hands are bound. Yeah. They And then he, they uh, there's some kind of a scuffle, and then <laughs> Klansmen are on fire running around. He pushes ah! one of the Klansmen into, like, the burning cross, mm-hmm. and then there's, like, a great shot of the burning Klansmen when he falls down. 
on the ground after he kind of sort of lights another mm-hmm. one on fire. And then it's a close-up of the Klansman on the ground. And it's clearly one of those guys in the fire suits, which is super mm-hmm. thick, so like you can't move that much, but he's trying to flail as much as yeah. he can in the fire suit. So it's just like this subtle kind of waddle back and forth on the oh, ground. It's which like, most people, when they're on fire, they're pretty subtle about it. I don't know if you know. It's like the robot. Yes, uncle. exactly. It's an homage to that. Yeah, but then he runs and jumps in the lake. Well, before then, though, in a weird touch, he's got his arms are bound behind his back. Yeah. And he kind of, like, backs up to a pickup truck, and he, like, rubs up against the fender. <laughs> Somehow the rope disappears. I didn't really understand how he did that. Pro tip. So um, he runs and into the water, and they release the hounds naturally, and he, like, is under the water, uh-huh. and they start shooting at him, and then you see bubbles, and then the bubbles stop, and then he's up. And where are we now? It a lot of wildlife and uh, maybe not wildlife. You hear birds, right? It's like jungle sounds. There's a lot of ferns and. I didn't plants. know where they were going at first. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know where this was supposed to be. Well, we're at Vietnam, of course. And so you see, like some guys talking Vietnamese, and they're like walking through. And as we learned, they're Charlie. And then a big python comes by, and he has to be quiet. As and the python teaches by. him a lesson about being a bigot. Yeah, he said, "You shouldn't judge me." Then a little <laughs> Hendrix starts playing. This is the. It's the dumbest it's thing. It's the heaviest. Like every like Vietnam cliche you can think of, this squad of guys with like cigarette packs in their helmets. Yeah. And like probably they probably have peace signs drawn on there. <laughs> Purple Haze is playing yeah. on a like, transistor radio. One of the guys is smoking a joint. Yeah. It's it's just a small unit as they're on patrol looking for Charlie. Looking for Charlie. They, paying, call, they paying, say Charlie, yep, too. Paying very close attention to all the sounds around them. While they're blasting Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, because they need to constantly remind themselves what era they're in. Yeah, absolutely. So he sees them and he's like, oh, this is my chance. And he comes out. He's like, I'm an American. I'm an American. And they just immediately do the back to back circle formation and start shooting at everything. Yeah, really unloading. And for a really long time. This is where it gets confusing lore wise. But did you catch the line that the one guy said? Mm, what was that? As they're shooting, or after they're done shooting, but before they launch the grenade, Mm -hmm. one of them says something like, I knew we shouldn't have shot Needlemire, which is an Animal House reference. Like, I looked it up, and I guess it was John Landis trying to connect those two and trying to make a joke, because I guess they have some joke about Needlemire being shot in Vietnam. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I do remember that. It's just a weird... Because out of context, like I'm watching the Twilight Zone movie. What are they saying? What Needlemire? What is this yeah. crap? Yeah, not great. So yeah, they throw the grenade, and it blows him up, and it like blows him back into Nazi land, which was disappointing. I was like, "Where is he now?" I was like, oh, he's back in the he's first back place. here. Yeah, game over. And you see like huge Nazi flags, right? <laughs> it's slowly expanding. So he runs away. He's like, "Ah, oh, crud!" And they shoot him in the leg, so he's limping. And they grab him and throw him against a wall and, like, slap a, uh, some kind of sticky Star of David on him. <laughs> Must have had, like, it's some, a scratch and sniff, yeah. Some double-sided tape on it. And then they lead him into a rail car. And there's a bunch of Jews, and they look on him, sadly. And he looks out the window, of the, like, between the, like, boards of this cattle right. car. And he sees his friends, like, walking out of the bar. And he's like, no, oh, hey! I'm here, I'm here. Yeah. And then you hear the train goes. That's my fully. It's pretty good. Right here. And then it leaves. And scene. 
and a lesson has been learned. And like as the Jewish people are staring at him, it's very much Death's Head Revisited. Mm-hmm. Like that weird cold stare of the ghost. Like they aren't really reacting like normal people. Yeah, like they would be like, hey, this this is not great. <laughs> Which I think is, yeah, what they would say. But it's just that freaky cold mm-hmm. stare. Uh, so this episode, it's a, I guess it's the most like Death's Head Revisited. Is that is that the number one reference point? Or yeah. like, which episodes is it really combining from it's, the Twilight Zone run? Yeah, because this one is the only one that is original. Right. And John Landis wrote this one. Right. So it's kind of a combination of Death's Head Revisited, a little bit of He's Back, learning that uh, Hitler isn't all he cracked up to be. I guess in a way, but... it's. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, well, we're going to do an original Twilight Zone. Let's... You know, Rod Serling, who's a big uh, social justice warrior, as they called mm-hmm. him back in his day. Yes, exactly. Uh, we gotta, we gotta bring those elements through. Let's write an original piece. But then, to get out of the gate with the original piece mm-hmm. is an odd choice. Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean, the big thing that I think most people know about the Twilight Zone movie is that one of the main actors died mm-hmm. and two little kids died, and that was in this first section. I didn't connect it with this. I was, uh-huh. I was honestly. Going into the fourth section, I'm like, oh, this is the one that's going to be about Vietnam. Uh-huh. And I'm just too stupid to, because I was just waiting for the helicopter scene, because I still thought that they used no. like, that premise, but they completely cut all of it. Yeah, because originally, the way that the Vietnam scene was supposed to go down is that he came upon a village and found some little kids who were in peril, mm-hmm. and he grabbed them, and then there was a firefight from a helicopter and uh very exciting and there were some explosions and stuff and it was kind of a tale of redemption there right and tragically what happened is the helicopter pilot was flying too low and there was a kind of a an error with the pyro and uh-huh. it temporarily blinded the pilot and he came down and it's it's horrible um basically the helicopter blades decapitated right. Morrow, the actor, right, and the two little kids. Was he a well-known actor? Yeah, he was a uh, character actor, for sure. Okay, he, yeah, I never really heard of him. Yeah. So then they had to recast this guy, completely rewrite the Vietnam section. Like, does all of the no. footage... What that, do you mean? That was him. What oh, really? Yes. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, wait, so, they so truncated how does this work? The, they truncated the Vietnam scene. Yeah. Okay. So the... Like the grenade explosion part originally didn't launch him back. I don't know like the exact specifics, but the Vietnam, right. like, yeah, he went into a village because it didn't feel after. that jarring the way it was. Like him coming out of the water and then yeah. him with the grenade being launched back. I'm curious how mm-hmm. that was actually structured. Okay, so they didn't recast it or anything. Like no, that, that was filmed. him. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and there was a huge controversy with this because right. what had happened is John Landis had been like breaking some laws as far as you can only have kids working right the child actor stuff hour. yeah and there were a couple of lawsuits filed and they were settled um so yeah that that's why i wonder if because this segment is clearly not the best uh is that why they put it first just to get it out of the way so people could enjoy the rest of the movie and they can stop thinking about it it's i have no idea what the the logic behind it was yeah because it, it was this is such a lame segment you know and then to have i mean <laughs> right let's right. be honest like even three like, people died for this for this yeah, yeah and then like best case scenario like it was gonna be a lame segment right you know i ugh. 
It's, it's interesting now, though, it, to to think about it, because you you say like, well, they just want this to get out first so that people can enjoy the rest of the movie. Right. I would be curious that if something like this happened just in today's climate, would the movie even be released at all? Would they just scrap that segment? Well, that's the thing, re- especially like do something entirely different. Or oh, would they be for like, sure. Or would they be like, oh, this is a fitting tribute to the actor. We need to make sure that it's because like the crow, for instance. Right. You know, Brandon Lee died. In a, in a mishap with that too but they still released it right yeah yeah so i, I guess yeah, i mean there's also like uh dr parnassus with heath ledger whereas like half the stuff was filmed they still mm-hmm. released that and that was like a weird coincidence where it all worked out because all the stuff within the imagination land could be played by other actors and it actually kind of right. made sense within that world yeah but he didn't die on the set though which is like right. kind of a different and especially rate. with something that's so easily segmented like twilight zone the movie yeah. like they must have known that this is a weak section anyway. And it's like, mm-hmm. sorry, John Landis, you can direct something else, but just cut it out, man. Yeah. Just give us a whole new section. Yeah. Because like, what is the lesson of this entire piece, of this entire segment? The lesson would be don't be a heel. Don't be a heel <laughs> because it, you'll if you change. Do, you'll go back in time. But it's not like he, it didn't show him learning his lesson. No, that's the thing. I think that had that accident not have happened, it would have been a tale of redemption somewhat, at least, because he was saving, saving those children. saving the kids. But as it stands, it falls flat even more so just because there's no – he isn't learning anything. Right. It's He's a just, bad guy who's then systematically just tortured. And he realizes, oh, it sucks to be Jewish in World War II. Oh, it's not great to be a black person being judged right. by the Klan. But, I mean, what, is that what does le- he do with that lesson moving forward? Exactly. He's not going to be like, oh, now I appreciate Goldman – yeah. Because I was reminded that the Holocaust happened. Right. It's and like a, I felt it from their side. I don't think that's the way that works. It's like a black leather jacket situation where <laughs> you just kind of go into it. You're like, okay, this this happened, but now what? Yeah. I got, I got nothing, man. Yeah. I, I give this one a three. Yeah, this is a three. This <laughs> okay. is just garbage. It is just garbage. Try it's on the movie, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. All right, moving on. Next section was directed by uh, a young rookie named Steven Spielberg. No, this one? This one, Spielberg directed. I have a hard time believing Boy, I do too. All right, this one is Kick the Can. Kick the Can. Now we're getting to the remake territory, which you think would be more fun. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's necessarily true, at least out of the gate here. Kick the Can, one of the most memorable episodes of The Twilight Zone. I like Kick the Can, I think more than you did for that original episode. It really had an impact on me. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, this version of it, I feel, kind of loses some of the mystery and the subtlety about the original Kick the Can. But I can see why Spielberg would be attracted to the idea. You know, mm-hmm. it's an oddball one. But it's just to have that nostalgic feeling, which is so important to the Twilight Zone, to insert that into the movie isn't the worst idea. So real quick, before yeah. we launch into I can tell you desperately want to talk about this episode. So desperately. How do you think they approach this episode? Or this, mean, uh, the film? Do you think that directors kind of had a crack at what they wanted to approach? Or were they like... We need to have these because it just seems like kick the can is such an odd choice, in my opinion, when you have. I think, I think, well, Spielberg produced it and I'm guessing he just got his director buddies together Mm -hmm. uh, because it's like, yeah, John Landis, Spielberg, uh, Joe Dante, George Miller, and George Miller um, got all those guys together. And I'm guessing that it was just fair. Like, pick whatever section you want to do. I'd imagine they just leave it wide open like that. Yeah. But yeah, I think they at least attempted to have a variety Mm -hmm. as far as like tone. Right. So I guess, yeah, this is like the lighthearted, kick the can, night of the meek, heartwarming yeah. side of the Twilight Zone. Right, right. So anyway. Okay, so 
here we are. We're in an old folks' home. Sunnyvale rest home. Old Sunnyvale. Uh, there is a doctor that's running down all the different vitamins they can take. <laughs> he brings up how a certain vitamin is you know, good for the sex drive. Because just because you're old doesn't mean that you can't have sex anymore. And then it cuts to the people's faces, the old people's faces. They're like, ooh, all looking at one each other. Snickering. One guy is blowing bubbles. Yeah, which... It was a weird... This bubble thing bothered me more than it maybe should, but it's like the whole point of the kick the can storyline <laughs> is to slowly transition to them becoming kids and doing kid things again. So right out of the gate, to be like, hey, you can still F each other, and then like guy blowing bubbles, like, well... We're, we're already halfway there. Yeah, exactly. Make them all old stooges instead of just one old guy uh, who has the worst goodbye to his family of all time mm-hmm. where he's visiting with his family his family's dropping him off again at the old folks home he's asking if he can come visit them again they're like uh yeah no, no. They, they were dropping him off though he was packing up because he wanted to go yeah, yeah but they were visiting him but he wanted to leave and go oh, visit yeah. them yeah, yeah yeah he does not want to be in this old folks home uh so a new person in this old folks home mm-hmm is named bloom and scatman crothers scatman himself the old scatman i mean He's the best. He's just Mr. The Shining. Like what Mr. else? The do, Shining, yeah. What is what else is he known for? Hong Kong Fui. Is it like a mini driver situation where only people only know him because of that name? No. If it was Earl Henson, would anybody remember this guy's name? He was known for scat. <laughs> and for crothering. Yeah. Uh crothering his neighbor's ox. Um, anyways, and so <laughs> uh at this old folks' home, Bloom is the new guy. Uh and he gives a good speech. Mm-hmm. Right out of the gate about, you know, if you were young again, what would you do if you could do absolutely anything? And like, oh, man, I would do dancing. I would do all these different things. Everybody's listing off different things that they really want to do. And then it's interesting. Scatman's like, how about kick the can, huh? Well, <laughs> well just you guys like kick the can. Moments earlier, sure. like, as the guy was standing there super sad with the suitcases in hand as his family made abandoned them, him. He basically dropped Yeah. There's some kids and they run by and they are playing kick the can because naturally right. kids play kick the can. Oh, all the time. Oh, yeah, they stopped me. They're huge fans. It was 1983, to be fair. Also, odd odd connection to the previous piece. One of the old guys, mm-hmm. like the first line that he says, he's like, oh, like any good Jew, this is what I want to do. Whoa. Yeah. Like any good, it's like, just a weird connection to the previous thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to stand out so strongly yes. in relation to the previous segment. Yeah. They had to have thought about that, right? I don't know that a whole lot of thought was put into this. Okay. Film. Okay. I guess like originally I read that there are going to be more connections in between the segments. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this was one of them, like the super Jewish guy throughout this entire piece. Yeah. Constantly referencing the fact that he is Jewish. I don't know. But anyways, so they're all listing all the things that they would like to do if they were young. Uh, weird moment. And I'm wondering if you can explain why mm-hmm. this actually happened. One of the old ladies talks about how like back when her husband Jack Dempsey was alive mm-hmm. and then another guy goes oh Jack Dempsey the fighter mm-hmm. she's like no 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 not not Jack Dempsey the boss, boxer mm-hmm. I was like oh okay <laughs> but like, what was the point of that exchange I think it was just to be like a cute thing it's cute and just kind of make us remember that she had a husband that died yeah and then his name also was, he shared a name with someone famous but okay. it wasn't him All right. just, just want to make sure there's not some inside joke no. Culturally that I completely missed there. Like uh, Jack Dempsey? Like, yeah, just, I don't know. Anyways. Anyways. So, Bloom. Uh, one lady wants to dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy wants to be like Douglas Fairbanks. Boy, does he. The swashbuckler. Yeah, yeah, he really does. 
And so Scatman Crothers is like, hey, how about you guys play Kick the Can instead? And, and he pulls the- out the shiniest can out of nowhere and immediately oh, yeah. starts polishing it to a higher gloss with his handkerchief. Oh, yeah. So he makes a whole pack that they're all going to wake up in the middle of the night and go play Kick the Can, and they're all pretty excited about it. Midnight. Except for oh, the Mr. old Sourpuss Conrad, Con- yeah. Conroy. He says <laughs> he likes being old. Yeah, he apparently likes it, so he refuses to join them in any way. Uh, everybody else wakes up. They go outside, start kicking the can awkwardly, and then it cuts to the old guy up in his room, and he can hear the voices, mm-hmm. and it's like all the old people going like, all the oxen free, all the oxen free. And then they transition in the voices, which is a nice touch. Yes. From going, oh, the oxen free, oh, the oxen free. And they just get younger and younger and younger. And then it's uh, one of the old ladies, and she runs up to the camera and looks directly into it uh, and just says, oh, my God. She still has an old lady voice for yeah. some reason. It really didn't translate. They're doing, translate. like, caricatures of the old actors they're portraying. Yeah, yeah. With her in particular, it really stands out. Yeah. Okay, so all the kids are young again. Not Scatman Crothers. Mm-hmm. He remains old, which is a confusing version of this story. But everybody else is young again. Uh, the British gentleman mm-hmm. turns into like a 13-year-old Peter Pan type. Yes. The Douglas Fairbanks fan. Mm-hmm. His shirt's off and he has a cape but on. He's, his shirt's off. He's wearing a pajama top. Yeah. But he's like tied around him like a cape. Right. And he still has his cane and he's kind of using it as a sword. Yes. Here's what I'm confused about. What are you confused about? He has like white hair. He has, like, it's silver super, locks. super blonde. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Okay, because this whole movie is in color. Yes. Uh, it is just weird that, like, this kid still has white hair. But he's running around. He looks like Siegfried or Roy. It's just a yeah. weird character amidst yeah, one of them, all these one other ones. One of them ones. does ask Scatman, says, so why aren't you young? Right. And he's like, you know what? I learned that I wanted to find my one true age and then feel young. Yeah, the trick- long ago he's like, oh, this is some otherworldly being. I wonder how long is he? What is going on here? It's a real good question. Uh, yeah, so he's like, oh, the key to staying young is in your mind. Yeah, they're jumping not, rope. Yeah, not the physical appearance, which is seems like the whole point was right. Uh, so they're all having a good time and doing their little uh, like jump rope dances, where it's like not this night, but the night before. Yep. Blah 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 blah. blah. Um, but That's then. The the most depressing sequence of all time kicks oh, in. Oh, God, reality. Where they all start talking about, like, oh, God. It starts with, like, I don't want to go to school again. Where and then ends with people saying, I don't want to lose all the people I love again. And then the one lady's like, oh, my God, I don't have Jack Dempsey. He's I dead. I lost my wedding ring. Which I want to see Haley's Comet. Yeah, a lot of Haley's Comet talk. Uh, they don't want to see it when they're 80, which means she's like 78 in the old folks' home, which seems yeah. a little bit young for yeah. old folks' home, but, you know, it's a different time. So, Scatman Crothers has the wedding ring. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he got it, if it fell off her hand and he picked it up, but he then puts a ring on the little girl mm-hmm. when she says she doesn't want to be young anymore. Mm-hmm. And everybody agrees after, you know... 12 minutes of being young like yeah this isn't for us after all which is where it parts ways from the original because mm-hmm. the original it's like oh they probably turn into kids again see ya They're yeah gonna go which enjoy I, their I do like that diversion because i like the idea that reality has set in and they're like well what do we do now and they all could it think sucks. of nothing to do except get depressed uh except for the british guy oh yeah who immediately is like I'm going to have sex. This is the best. This is going to be sexy. And then it like cuts <laughs> to like the little girls. It's a weird, yeah. weird moment where he's super into the sex angle of being a 12-year-old. 
with his shirt off and bleached yeah. white hair. Uh, so they all run upstairs and start jumping on the bed. And to be fair, this is why I think your initial, uh, what you noticed about them acting so childish at the very beginning, yeah, just completely neuters the power of them being kids, right? Because the guy is, like I said, he's snickering when they talk about sex, and the guy's blowing bubbles like an idiot, and right? And when Scatman is like, "Well, what do you guys want to do?" at the very beginning, they're like, "Oh, we want to play," and they immediately launch into rhymes and all this other stuff. And it seems like they're having a great time. Being old is great, and they're watching Jeopardy, and like they yeah. have like a real rapport and are yeah. enjoying each other's company. And then they do they turn into kids, and maybe that's the entire point of this. They turn into kids, and you're like, "Oh, this sucks." Right. Being old is awesome because it was awesome to begin with. We did not learn anything from this exercise. Well, I think the exercise. So, anyways, they go back upstairs. Uh, they're young. They're jumping on the bed. Uh, the old guy's like, "What?" The? And goes out and gets the landlady or the mm-hmm. caretaker. She comes in. Everybody's old again. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, except for Peter Pan, Siegfried, and Roy. <laughs> and he's like, "Ha ha! See ya!" And he like jumps out the window and flies away. Conroy is like, "Take me with you." And he's like, "I can't. I yeah. can't." And then I, yeah, I I need to go. F twelve year olds <laughs> flies away. And then like the lady, she's like, "Who is that?" And then just walks over and like closes the window. No question of like. Why did this child just fly out my window? Where's the old man who sleeps in this bed? What is happening? Uh, and then they're they're all whispering like fresh young minds, fresh yeah. young minds. Or this entire thing, I'm convinced is just putting. It's like it is what got the ball rolling for Steven Spielberg for making Hook. It all feels so oh, hook. yeah, for sure. It's a pretty hooky segment. It is very Especially hooky. with like the uncle in Hook. Like he used to be a lost boy and then he comes back and lost mm-hmm. his marbles and all that crap. Him like wanting to be young again and taking off out the window. Yeah. It's, it feels like a prequel to Hook. And I love Hook. Mm-hmm. Don't watch this. <laughs> this is just the germs of the rough ideas. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it. And so the lesson is. Nope, but there's more. Oh, sure. So then like. You know, the, the next, next day, day. Uh, the guy, uh, the old cranker, he's kicking the can outside, and mm-hmm. Scatman's like, he'll get it, he'll get it. And then he takes off, goes to the next old folks' home. Like, Which oh. is literally around the corner. <laughs> really is. And like, oh, Bloom, you're here. Please, come on in. And he's like, oh, he's I'll like, be there. He's like waving his stick in front of people's faces, and they're not moving, and he's really excited about that. Because he's going to brainwash them he's all. He's going to make him kick their cans. Yeah, it's, uh, and so that's it. But So the lesson is, sucks to be old. Yep. Sucks to be young. Mm-hmm. Scatman Crothers is God. <laughs> Scatman Crothers is God. I think that's how that all works. Yeah. Did you enjoy this, Cork? Did you feel like... I mean, obviously the lesson is be old, but have, have a, a young, young mind. Which is less magical, less interesting mm-hmm. than the original. Performances are better than the original. I don't like the idea of like it just being this traveling guy who knows all the answers mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Like, knows yes. like, you kick this effing can, you're going to turn young. Mm-hmm. It removes all the mystery and kind of fun out of learning that mm-hmm. and just puts it right in the front of like, oh, this one magical guy. If he comes around, you might be set. But otherwise, yeah. you're on your own, old timers. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of five. Yeah, that's where I landed too. Wow. Yeah, we nice. are in simpatico. Yeah, that's about it for yeah. good moments for that thing. Also, like, the lighting really sucked, especially like in the beginning it's a weird thing to say. Learn to shoot, Spielberg. But, like, they're trying to make it look like a setting sun. It's like this weird red light mm-hmm. illuminating, like, half of everybody's face. It's the magic hour. Entryway. Yeah, magic hour indeed. It just mm-hmm. looks like garbage. Yeah. I thought the whole thing. And, like, he has, like, this weird, like, wide-angle lens and a lot of the close-ups in the beginning of all the mm-hmm. old people. 
just an ugly segment overall. Yeah. Especially that silver-haired kid. <laughs> you got a little bit of the bro. Oh, in just a little bit. <laughs> Jeez. The old country seeping in. So it's funny that you say that you didn't like the approach of a person coming and explaining the mystery. Does that segues perfectly into this next section? Cork? What? I honestly set it up that way. I was hoping you would see the connection I was trying to draw. There. I am picking up what you are laying down. Start running, kid. So this section, this is basically, it's a good life. Here's the thing. You knew that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Okay. This section started out, I didn't know what the F was. I thought it start, opens with like a lady in a car. And, yeah. I was, and I was like, oh, hitchhiker. Yeah. Cool. They're doing hitchhiker. Yeah. It's like She goes to a bar. Well, let me tell you about this episode. Ben All Hansen. right. All right. We got Helen Foley. She's a teacher. And she's lost. So she goes into a bar. And it's, this is like one of the the only moments in the entire time that I was like super glad. I feel like I was rewarded for being a fan of the show. This entire segment is full of fan service. Yeah, for sure. Because she gets directions from the guy at the bar. Right. And he says, oh, you're lost, huh? So you must have missed the turn to Cliffordville. Uh-huh. You want to get on Beaumont Street. Beaumont's a reference to the writer. Right, One of the writers right. of the original Twilight Zone. Yeah, Cliffordville late. is of late. Think, think of, of Clifford, Dream of Cliffordville. Dream, dream of Cliffordville. Yeah. And then she, you know, she's trying to get to Willoughby. Right. Last stop she's trying to make Willoughby. a stop at Willoughby. Willoughby. Right, right, right. Also, uh, her name is Helen Foley, which is the main character from uh, Nightmare as a Child. Mm-hmm. And one of the actors in the bar, did you know this fun part? One of the actors in the bar that's trying to watch boxing, reference mm-hmm. to Steel, on the TV, by the way. Yeah. But uh, one of the actors in the bar is Bill Mewmy, ah, who was the original yeah. kid. There you go. From uh, It's a Good Life. So you got a couple of other ones in this episode, but we'll wait till we get there. Okay. So anyway, there uh, she's getting directions, but there's a kid who is playing Tempest on an arcade machine, right? Is that Tempest? Tempest? That's Tempest. Tempest. <laughs> so he's playing it, and it's messing up the reception of this boxing match. And these two guys are watching it, and they're like, I got 20 bucks on this. you know? Like and every classic arcade game. Kid keeps playing. Oh, God, the interference. I'm glad the FCC finally stood up to those <laughs> arcade jerks. And pushed those kids down. So the kid's banging on the cabinet, and then these guys are like, that's it. And they walk over and unplug the machine and knock the kid down. Yeah, very sensible thing. And the lady's like, blah, and leaves. And the bar guy is like, ah, way to go, guys. So well, she... Well, there's... I really want to dive into this bartender a little bit because... He's a creep. But not overtly a creep, but he's a little bit too friendly mm-hmm. with this cute young lady. Mm-hmm. She... The guy then gets a call from his wife. Mm-hmm. and And he's like, oh, my wife. And it's like this big thing where he's leaving... To go get the phone call from his wife, and he's upset that those guys scared this lady off by mm-hmm. being mean to a kid because apparently he wanted to sleep with her. Yeah, she's I think like, was, oh, it's your wife. Yeah, I think that's the story they're going for. So she's getting in her car and she's backing up and hits that kid, just backs right over. He's riding his bike. Yeah. Um. Uh. So she's like, oh, "I'll give you a ride home." I still don't know what episode this is. You still don't know what episode I still didn't know. I didn't know until they're in the car then. She mm-hmm. asked for his name. She says, An- and he said, Anthony. Ugh. So it's Anthony. And I, as I said, this is, it's a good life. Yeah. So he says it's his birthday, but his family doesn't care. But at the same time, it's nice because he's made a friend. So they pull into this house. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a cute house. Bunch of abandoned cars in Bunch the Bunch of abandoned cars. I and love For that. some reason, they're like, Hover, there's a squirrel who's just sitting on this car. Are you sure it was always a squirrel? What do you mean? I don't know. It could be a transformation. I don't know. So then you see the interior of the house, and there's like a cartoon on the screen, and the house is exactly the same house as in that cartoon, which is a pretty 
cute little touch there. Wait a minute, really? Yes. Wait, so the first cartoon, because it's Looney Tunes, it's, it cycles through to Looney Tunes. It's all kinds of cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one that's on the TV is that house? It is that house. Oh, that's cool. I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's the only cool cartoon reference. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, so anyway, walk in and uh, there's this guy you learn is Uncle Uncle Walt. Is that who it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, watching TV with a girl who you find out is his sister. And they're very happy to see Anthony because it's like the original. Everyone loves Anthony. Anthony's right. the greatest. Everyone's very happy. And they're like, well, won't you stay for dinner? And you know, Well, she explains. she explains. Oh, yeah. I totally ran into your son. Literally. Yeah. It's like I knocked him down. And everyone's like freaked out. Like you knocked oh, him no. down. Well, they're all terrified, but they're also kind of amazed. Like it's possible to hurt this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, oh, why didn't we think of that? Could have just backed into him. <laughs> so they're like, oh, you got to stay for dinner. And she's like, uh, okay. And he's like, hey, why don't you? I'll show you some, show you around. And then they're, they're like, oh, great! I'll grab your bag and take your per- and take your sweater. And they like yank her stuff away from yeah. her. And she's like, all right. So she goes upstairs, and as she's going upstairs, she's in the hallway, and then it cuts to the family. And they're just like tearing through her stuff, like in a frenzy, going through her bag. I didn't and- know what this was because like maybe they're starving. Yeah. Like the first guess was like maybe yeah, Anthony just hasn't made any food for him, but then later it reveals that they're just going for like the prized items. Like they want like her cigarettes. Right, right, right. Her right, like right. lotion. They're all like rubbing it on their skin. Right. Well, yeah. Looking at her pictures. We have cartoon like TVs with cartoons are in every room. Yeah. And there's like a weird hallway with these like crazy stripes and shadows. It's and very stuff. this entire segment is very Tim Burton mm-hmm. Beetlejuicy. There's like paintings and none of the people have faces on the paintings, <laughs> which is super creepy. Uh, and she's looking around like uh, Anthony, Anthony. Still very polite, though. Not really that creeped out. Yeah. Then it, yeah, it cuts back to the family and they're like smoking cigarettes and he said, like, put the lotion on and acting all crazy. Yeah. And uh, so then we go into one room and there's just like five or six identical beds kind of all <laughs> lined up with stuffed bears on them. And, yeah. And uh, this girl's got her back to the camera and she's watching a cartoon on a TV. And Anthony's like, oh, that's my sister, Sarah. She had an accident. And then the only cool thing about this entire episode. Wait a minute. I wouldn't say that, but it is the coolest thing. So we cut to like, you see Sarah and her eyes are really wide and everything. And the bottom half of her face is obscured by the television. Uh Her eyes are like wide and like super spooky. And then it like pans and you see that she just has this smooth expanse of skin where there should be a mouth. It's Neo in the Matrix during like that uh, interrogation scene. Yeah, it looks Awesome. And yeah, she just like her eyes are like her face is super pale and she just looks terrified. Ugh. She doesn't turn around to see the new visitors. She's no. just glued to these cartoons forever. Yeah. So they come back down and Anthony kind of looks at his sister suspiciously. And at this point, I couldn't tell if it was intentional or not. This room looks a lot like a set. Like it just looks super phony, cartoonish. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Also, when they're walking back downstairs, Anthony has a line that I like because mm-hmm. the entire family is still huddled panicking downstairs uh trying to go through all the ladies stuff and anthony's like here i come mm-hmm. and then he like leans to the lady and he's like i always like to tell them when i'm coming <laughs> like i love that they build that into the lore like he gives everyone a heads up so they have a fair chance yeah because they don't really in this version get into the whole mind reading aspect right of anthony it's just mm-hmm. very much like if he sees you doing something bad so right. they're not scared of like the telepathy type of stuff right so everyone is very nervous, and they're like, oh, "Because he like smells the smoke have, on them." We're gonna have dinner, and then the mom is like, eh, "Where, where is supper?" 
She has no idea. Like yeah. it comes from a different spot every and day. He's like, "Well, it's in the mu- it's in the oven," and she's like, "Oh, it's in the oven." Whew. And then it shows the cartoon, which I guess is the only other cartoon part that's cool. I was wrong. Uh, it's a heck of a Jekyll cartoon. And they're talking about well, because we're cartoons, we can do whatever we want. You know, uh-huh. he turns himself into a mouse. Right. And then turns himself back What is Heckle and Jekyll? I'm not familiar with that. Those are the talking magpies. Oh, okay. Cartoon. Yeah, so that's like a legit cartoon. Yeah, I guess I, I remember I had some of those like on tapes, but. Yeah. So dinner is served and it's burgers, chips, candy apples, cookies, some kind of parfait thing. Yeah. Everyone's kind of excited. and Peanut then, butter covered burgers, well, which yeah, probably would have been like a disgusting thing back then, but now it's like a delicacy. Well, yeah, well, if you look at it, Helen opens it up and it's just this sticky looking mess <laughs> and he's like. He's very excited. He's like, they taste great like that. She's like, you guys eat like this all the time? And everyone's kind of looks horrified that she right. dare question it. She's being a freelance teacher. And he says, uh, well, um, no, it's not good to eat like this all the time. And then, oh, it's your birthday. That's right. And then the sister's like, another birthday? Do you know who the sister is? No. By the way. I uh, liked her face a lot. It's uh, Nancy Cartwright. Voice of Bart really? Simpson from... The television oh, program, The wow. Simpsons. I guess, yeah, I haven't seen her face too much, but I love just like the plain kind of boring look of the sister mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So she's like, Ugh, another birthday. And she's like with presents and the whole thing. And Anthony gives her a good look and like he doesn't hurt her, but she just kind of like flips mm-hmm. her food. Oh, yeah. Like, whoa. And then Helen is like, I got to go. And he's like, no, you can't go. Uncle Walt's going to do a trick. He's going to do the hat trick. Yeah. And Uncle Walt just looks, com- we'll just say everyone looks terrified all the time. Constantly. So I have to say this. No, it's, it's not. But also they don't bring back the thing of like, it's a real good thing. It's a real good mm-hmm. thing. I'm surprised they didn't bring that, that rhythm of speech back. But it, I'm still trying to understand, Did it, they want to establish that Uncle Walt had done tricks before, but just it always went poorly or that he had never done a trick because like as he goes up to perform the trick and he has like the hat and everything it's very much like him slowly going and i like to imagine that he had no idea what to do mm-hmm. but he was just trying to do it correctly because yeah at first he's just like well what do you mean and then the hat's on top of the tv right and it's this top hat and he's like uh and he, yeah he puts it on his head which is like imagine being put on that stage like do the thing yeah the spotlight appears right. out of nowhere he's like uh he has no idea what to do. So he, they're like, pull it out. And he like uh, pulls a rabbit out of the hat. And, and everyone's like super relieved. And at that point, they showed rabbit. like the family. And it's hilarious because the mom, for some reason, has a fishbowl. Yeah. Why rabbit. Why does she have this fishbowl? I have no idea. So then pulls out the rabbit. And then next thing you know, it's like this super scary demon vibrating rabbit. And Anthony's just, he thinks this is the greatest thing. Yeah, totally. And everyone else is starting to obviously freak out. Then Anthony says, go away, you know, because Helen is like, make it go away. Yeah. Like, this is when Helen realizes that something extremely supernatural mm-hmm. is happening here. Right. And then uh, she's like, I really need to get out of here. And yeah. they give her her stuff. No, Anthony goes through the the bag. He sees in her bag there's a n- note. Yeah. And it says, please help, written on scrap of paper, please help. Anthony is a monster. Right. And... It comes out that they want to send him away like his real mom and dad did. So you're like, who are these? Yeah, I love people? that story detail about that. Yeah. These are not his real mom and dad. Like, this is like a surrogate family because he's killed so many people. Yeah, so they're like, well, who did it then? And then, like, the 
fake parents are like, I didn't do it. I didn't. So they blame Ethel. And, uh, and every her there too. She's like, she's not an actual sister either. Right, right. I think, yeah, the sister upstairs, I think That's she references is one of the real sisters. Yeah. Yes. But then everybody's immediately dogpiles and Ethel like, oh yeah, yeah. Ethel did it. Ethel wrote that episode. Yeah, and no. she says, oh great. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I'm wishing you into cartoon land. And it, she's on the TV and like all these leering faces are there and like a wolf with an axe and cuts blood. to the father and he just goes, Jesus, <laughs> like looking at the cartoon. It's so and good. It's all this weird psychedelic, like moon faces and things chasing her. Pretty bad flames. drawings, but yeah. And then ultimately this dragon eats her and then it cuts to Anthony and says, that's all Ethel. Woof. It's beautiful. So she runs over to the door, opens it and there's a gigantic eyeball, which you must've loved. And I love that. That's my favorite thing. It's a giant eyeball. And then out of nowhere, you hear like sound effects from that old uh, Robo- Robotron 2084. And wait, hang on. This is fascinating. The video me. game sound effects. I'm not smart enough to know that that was Tempest. Mm-hmm. And I did not realize that those were sound effects from a specific game. Yeah. Yeah, because I was very confused about that too, because the TV starts splitting in half, mm-hmm. but it's all triggered by these arcade sound effects, and it's yeah. Robotron. Yeah. Huh. It's so I thought weird. there was going to be like some arcade reference coming back, and there no. really wasn't. This is, he just basically, Anthony loses his freaking mind. And the TV splits in half, and this Tasmanian devil cyclone comes out. It is. It and takes it is, way too long. It takes a long time, but it is the exact sound effects from Looney mm-hmm. Tunes, which, do you think they had to license all that? Is that know. a licensed, freaky version of Taz? I don't know. I think at that point, it's probably far away enough. Yeah. Uh, Mom drops the fishbowl, and then it's this weird series of like short vignettes of these special effects things, like cartoon things come to life, like... There's this weird thing that blows smoke, and it blows smoke in all their faces, and they're like, ugh, yuck. And then Anthony's just losing his mind again. He's, yeah. He thinks this is the funniest thing. And then this other thing is eyes, its eyes get big. It, like, it does like the, you know, Big Bad Wolf saying, like, mm-hmm. a hot chick, like, ooh, like, very yeah. Tex Avery type stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, like, looking kind of at Helen, and its eyes are going nuts. But it kind of starts out looking a little bit like Taz after mm-hmm. doing the Taz spin Yeah, coming up. but. This weird thing starts bouncing around, and then she, then he just wishes it all away. Finally, right. he's just like, "It's all gone. And Everything's gone." Then we're like in the the little girl lost void. Of I assume nothing. this is a reference to Little Girl Lost. Yeah, and she's like, "Where are we?" He's like, "It's all gone. We got." And then where are they? And she, he says, "Well, I sent, I put them where they wanted, away from me." So I wonder. <laughs> I hope it's in a good place. <laughs> oh no, it's the pits of hell. Yeah, exactly. So then Helen says, "Well, I see potential in you." Uh, but you need to be careful because one day this could be your gift could be too big for you to control. So let's work together to master it. I'll be your teacher and your student. And at this point, on my notes, I'm sensitive viewers. I apologize. I really uh-huh. fuck this. Sh- <laughs> um. Oh, oh, okay. There you go. Her then her car comes back, and then they get in. It's dark, and uh, then he makes it light. And they drive away, and flowers bloom behind them. At that point, I wrote this shit again. So <laughs> that is. Uh, so you just hated the idea of a happy ending for "It's a Good Life." I hated the idea of everything about the way that this was told. Cork. What? I strongly disagree. Okay, let's talk. I about- I loved the way that they structured this episode. Okay, I really did. I hate it. Because I think this is one where I think you lose all of its impact by starting off. With a character walking into it, not knowing what's going on, and that I completely act- disagree. I think that makes it 
so much better. No. I Look, this is nowhere near as good as the original It's a Good Life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's over the top, and it's very Tim Burton-y and cartoony, believe it or not. It's nowhere near as good as the first one. But if the first one was structured this way, mm-hmm. like I don't like the idea, like because I love the idea in the original that they're kind of like on an island of existence, and that's mm-hmm. all that's left of the universe in mm-hmm. theory. That's a really cool idea. But I love the structure of bringing somebody in who doesn't know what's going on mm-hmm. and slowly figuring out the mystery of like why the hell is everyone so scared See, instead think- of the original just being like. Here's a freaky kid. Here we go. No, but I think the original worked so well because we were that person discovering what was happening, what was so awful, rather than following. I understand the difference. I mean, maybe it's just because you knew that, but you're still the viewer discovering this along the way. But I like the idea that it's something that's already in place and we're just watching it happen rather than having this other person walk in and kind of set things in motion. Because it's too slow of a burn or I don't understand the difference for you? I just don't like that that style. I think that it was so effective yeah. the first time because it's like we're joining something that is in progress. Right. Right. See, I like the mystery. And especially if I hadn't have seen the original, mm-hmm. I think this really, really would have an impact on me. And I guess, I mean, you saw it as a kid, so you kind of saw it that way in theory. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. But then when I saw the original, I was like, oh, this is this surpasses it in every possible way. Because this one also does the thing where it's like so much of the first one was horrifying, like absolutely right. horrifying because it just went, it was not shown. Uh-huh. It's very subtle, and like the whole Jack in the Box thing is silly if you describe it, but then if you see this shadow, but they right. don't show the actual monster that he's created, it's right. so effective. Where it's the, showing cartoon abominations isn't effective? No, and it just drags on too long. It just looked like a bunch mm-hmm. of special effects guys just wanking off. I guess that's true, but I I do like the idea. By the way, I gave this an eight. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's it's a... Dude, you got to admit it's entertaining. It, look, it's nowhere near as good as the original It's a Good Life, but it's an entertaining segment. You can no, show this, this to a, anybody. This is a two, for sure. What? A two? Yeah. There's really no entertainment value. If you were to show this to somebody without any context, I think they'd be fascinated by this story. I would apologize, and I would say, let's just get this stupid crap out of the way so I can show you the real one. And I apologize for having done it in this order. Holy cow. I'm very curious what you think of the other remakes of It's a Good Life, then. And if it's just this specific structure or if it's just anything compared to that original. It, it's just, like I said, I don't like the way that the happy ending, I think, is terrible. I think that uh-huh. Anthony seems more like a nuisance yeah. than this monstrous thing. Right. And the people seem nervous around it, but they don't seem, I know I kept saying terrified, but I think there wasn't a real genuine sense of terror right. except I, I agree. for the sister. I agree. And I liked the the party that spiraled out of control. I thought that yeah. was – because that was more like this is their last chance to act. Right. And it's not going to happen. And then yeah. it starts snowing and it's like everything else is gone and who knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. You don't need to praise the original. The original was – it was almost – it's as close to perfection as you can yeah. get, I think, in the Twilight Zone. I completely agree. And I mean – This is just they, completely over the top. It's they just, are cartoon scared of him. Like, oh, boy, look yeah. at him. Instead of like – this beaten down, oh dear Christ, this right. person has made me question everything about reality yeah. and I'm going to die. Yes. Uh, which is what the, That's what the original is about. And they didn't even attempt to do so the whole like, he's something that we can redeem. I think completely. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that completely sucks. Oh, he's going to grow flowers just because. Oh, yeah. It, it's a, why? what's so special about Helen? She's hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that ultimately what's he's happening? He's hot is, for teacher. Is that what it is? Is he just hot for he's teacher? He's got it bad. <laughs> but I mean, really it's like there's no real connection i guess she saved him mm-hmm. uh or like picked him up when he was pushed down in the beginning but also yeah. the idea that 
there's still an outside world. Yeah, and the, an outside world. Yeah, that dudes can like push him down. Yeah, and he's just like, oh yeah, I didn't. So does he only have those powers? I mean, I guess within that house, and those family members just can't leave. It's like the entire world should be scared of him at this point mm-hmm. if he can use his powers elsewhere. I don't know why he wouldn't. Well, they do allude to the fact that she that Anthony set that entire thing in motion for him to for her to hit him with the bike. Oh, sure. So that he could get right a new person to play with. As much as I don't like there being an outside world, I do like the idea of him fishing for more people. It's like going out into the world and finding people to then lure back into the house. And I like the touch of having all the deserted cars there. Mm-hmm. There are some cool things about this way this is structured. You have to give it up a little bit. Very, very few things. Uh, it made me realize that and it's a good life TV show. Mm-hmm. You turn this into like an HBO show. Mm-hmm. It could just be endless. It, it would be really the greatest be. thing. It could be kind of like the way The Walking Dead was pitched. It could be the it's a good life story that never ends. It never would end. He could yeah. always bring in more people mm-hmm. in theory. As long as like you'd have to meet somewhere in the middle. It would have to be he'd destroy everything but like a county. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's going out and pulling other people from that county. Yeah. There's like the outskirts where they could still have their own mind. But then if you're in that bubble, then you're just effed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he could just kill people all the time. Yeah. There's your drama. He could fall in love with certain people, mm-hmm. then ax them. He could be getting older with the show. It'd honestly be a great TV show. Yeah. It really would be. And this was not a great episode <laughs> of a movie, though. Just terrible. Did you recognize Uncle Walt? No. Was he Walt Disney? Let's just say a certain episode called Long Live Walter Jameson. He was the star of that really? episode. Yep. The Dust Man himself. The Dust Man himself. Wow. A gentle Breeze. He did live for a long time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice touch. Yeah, this was a this lot of fan lo- service. Oh, a lot one. of fan service. I do love that. Yeah. Because it was subtle and it wasn't like... I, I, it was the only time that I think they held back from just being too on the nose. Everything right. else about this episode was just rubbing it in your face. Sure. But the Twilight Zone references were pretty cute. It wasn't I- like they walked by the dummy mm-hmm. in a glass case and paused and kind of looked at the camera. Hmm? I also really like the idea of like humans going into cartoons is kind of cute and fun. Not in this instance, cause people died. Um, but the idea of cartoons made into reality and brought into our world are the most terrifying things. And I feel like they kind of touched on that a little bit in like who framed Roger rabbits. Like, Oh my God, this is some freaky stuff. If you actually think about what these things are doing. Yeah. But just the idea that they're all these freaky monstrosities. And you said it was special effects artists just wanking off, which to some extent I think is true, but it's fun to think about what those cartoons would look like in real life. And I kid you not, I wrote down in my notes, I wish Looney Tunes back in action (laughs) was like this or Hmm. space jam where the Looney Tunes, when they're brought into our world, are just realistic monstrosities that are terrifying. I then looked up the director of mm-hmm. this episode, Joe Dante. He directed Looney Tunes back in action. Interesting. What are the odds of that? Uh, 100%. <laughs> cool. All right. Never <laughs> the, tell me creatures, the, odds. the creatures look like fiberglass creations that you would see at like your state fair's haunted house, especially the one that blew all the smoke. This episode sucks so hard. Woof. Woof, I disagree. Ugh. All right, let's move on. Uh, what nightmare at twenty thousand feet? I think is what we have here. Because I'm so fond of giving you character names, and then I will stop talking. Yeah, John Valentine. His name is John Valentine. I don't remember if that was his name in the original. No, don't quite recall. I don't it but was. this stars just a fantastic John Lithgow. 
the sweatiest man in the sky. <laughs> how many gallons did he lose? Imagine after every take, how much you'd have to hose this guy down just to keep that up throughout the entire filming. Man, it really made me thirsty. <laughs> I wanted so, him to have a canteen at one point. Oh, he desperately needed that canteen. All right, so uh, John Lithgow opens in the bathroom. He is terrified. Won't open the door for anything. Some lady comes up to try and use the bathroom, holding the Twilight Zone That's a book. flight attendant. No, 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 but there's a other oh, lady who's really? like, what's going on in there? And she's the one who's holding the Twilight Zone book. Really? I didn't which, see the Twilight Zone book. Yeah, it's a weird one. So in theory, John Lithgow could have watched the William Shatner episode. Mm. Which, by the way, I sent you this link a while ago. Yeah. There's a great reference in Third Rock from the Sun mm-hmm. where William Shatner plays a big giant head, like the alien boss, and he flies in to visit them, wherever their base, I forget where they live in Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, but John Lithgow, another alien, says, how was your flight? And William Shatner says, it was terrible. There was something on the wing and no one would believe me. And John Lithgow, John Lithgow <laughs> says, the same thing happened to me! <laughs> Which is a very funny joke. So anyways, John Lithgow in this episode is locked himself in the bathroom. He eventually comes out just sweating. They're trying to explain the odds of how this plane won't crash. You're safer in the sky than on, a, on the road. They finally get him in his seat. He has a book uh, and it's called Microchip Logic. And the flight attendant's like, oh, so you're into sci-fi, huh? He's like, no, I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. But it, the, and more importantly, it just establishes that he's a very logical thinker. Right. Which I think is an interesting twist instead of just, mm-hmm. you know, recovering so, mental breakdown guy that William Shatner was right. with his loving wife. This guy is a loner. Mm-hmm. He's all on his own, which yep. I like even more. Uh, and he is a very logical guy. Right. He just cannot stand being on an airplane. Okay. And he's going to sweat it out. This is the trifecta of movies set place in the 80s yeah you've got a cassette okay right you've got guys in gray suits uh-huh. the final one is when he's walking down the aisle there's a guy with a punk rock haircut yeah sunglasses listening to music on headphones boy too loud if you ask me yeah that's basically like you would now you would see him in the background of the police precinct but <laughs> yeah that's very true so they sit him down which is the most confusing part of this episode, the only part that doesn't really work for me, sit him down in his seat, which they mentioned is 4A. Mm-hmm. For 4A to have the wing directly outside, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a stretch. It's too far up in the plane for that. It's a real stretch in the middle section of the plane. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, so he sits down there. Believe it or not, he decides to look out the window. Uh, flash of lightning. Mm-hmm. He sees in the perfect level of obscurity where it's raining outside. Mm-hmm. It's tough to see. Watching this in HD, you know? But still, there's something out there. And it looks freaky. It looks like a humanoid. It is not an abominable snowman. I think the creature looks cool. I'm going to back you up a second, though. Because yeah. this is... Before we get to that, though, there's sure. a little girl on the plane. Right. And he, the pilot's like, oh, we got a little bit of turbulence, so I ask you to extinguish your cigarettes and put away things, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. John Lithgow, when he gets to his seat, immediately lights up. Yeah, this yeah. This big fat guy sitting in front of him and like looks back and gives him a scowl. That and there's fat like, guy was confusing. And there's a little girl, and she's got a, a W.C. Fields ventriloquist dummy. Right. And she says, no, smoking. And, oh, smoking. Put it out. You know, and then he puts his cigarette out in the arm yeah. rest. Ashtray. So that little girl is kind of like consistent throughout the episode. Yeah. And the second you see the Polaroid, it's like, okay, well, this is coming back. Yep. There's no way this isn't going to be yep, incorporated into the storyline. Anyway. Yeah. So. Oh, he started. Wait, he, he grabs a newspaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to calm himself down. And then the headline is 437 dead in airline disaster. I'm sure the flight attendant loves spreading that out about the flight before they're about to go through this thunderstorm. Yeah. 
Oh, if you need some reading material, we have this for you. Yeah. All right. Then the lightning, and he looks out the window and sees a guy. And sees, yeah, the gremlin, which looks like what I'd imagine a gremlin would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit mogwai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the gremlin out there is struck by lightning as he's like prying at the engine. And then he kind of looks like he's like riding the engine, mm-hmm. uh, strange love style. And then like he leans back and he's like, Looks like he's like screaming at God, like hit me again, like kind of like yeah, he like reels back. Yeah, you can see like electricity kind of going off of him. Yeah, pretty neat. It is pretty cool. Uh, Believe it or not, John Lithgow sees it, freaks out more, scares all the other uh, passengers on the flight. The stewardess goes over there, gives him a lot of talking to. Mm -hmm. He says, "Okay, I won't even look. I won't even look." Tries closing it because he starts talking about. He's like, "Maybe there's a technician who was working on the thing." This is my favorite part. Yeah, the super logical mind. He's like, "Maybe it's a technician that got caught in there as the plane took off." And then he's like, "But the air's so thin out there, and it's going to be so cold. I don't know how he'd survive for so long because it looked like he was still moving, but it has to be a technician just trying to work his way through how this could possibly work." This guy was just amazing in this episode Mm -hmm. as the sweatiest man alive. He does a great job. Um, You know, believe it or not, he starts. Closing the shade, and then it's a long wait for him to lift that shade up, and you know it's going to be the close-up. Well, he takes a sedative that the flight attendant offers him. She's like, I'm not supposed to do this. Doesn't spit it out. But I've got a mild sedative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just... Here's the good stuff. Doesn't spit it out like Shatner did, right? No, no. He's. I was waiting for him to spit it out to fully reconnect back to the original. Yeah. It doesn't do it. He no. apparently takes it. Does not work. Lifts the shades up. The gremlin's face is right in there. Mm-hmm. And he does the gremlin, like, has freaky eyes, big eyes, and he does, like, this little head shake. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts that with Lithgow freaking out with his eyes wide open, so like mm-hmm. connecting the two faces yeah. together as he's then being like held down by everybody else because he's screaming and freaking out so much. And it's like close-ups on his face of him screaming and freaking out. Mm-hmm. Works out really well. When you so know that close-up is this coming. This is a cool thing because George Miller directed this yeah. sequence. Yeah. Mr. And Mad Max. Mr. Mr. Mad Babe Max. the Pig. Right. And if you've seen uh, the first Mad Max recently, you know that there's one shot where a guy is about to get hit by a car. Uh-huh. And for a split second, you can like freeze frame it. They do like this prosthetic eye popping eyeball thing. Oh, really? Which they do with John Lithgow too. Like if you yeah, take a close yeah, look, yeah. his eyes are like a prosthetic. He opens them really wide, but then just for like a frame or two, they're like cartoonishly yeah, large. for sure. So just to mirror the gremlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's, it's a cool. nice touch. Um, So he's freaking out, believe it or not. Uh. Then it shows like the stewardess talking to the pilot in the front, mm-hmm. and all you can hear her just saying, "Freaking out!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's whispering to what's going on. Uh, he panics. The pilot uh, comes back, tries talking to him for a little bit. This, um, <laughs> he tries like walking him through from his perspective, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, we're on a big flight. I want to freak people out." Lithgow's like, "I know engine number four is out. I know it." Yeah. He's like, "Well, yeah, you're right." But the little fine. girl says, "You big silly." You used to be a normal person. <laughs> that part made me laugh. Perfect. Uh, so they leave. Believe it or not, he sees the gremlin again. Tries taking the little girl's Polaroid to take a picture of it mm-hmm. to prove it's really there because the turbulence is getting really bad at this point uh, because it looks like the gremlin's taking out the other engine. Uh, good touch. He takes a Polaroid. All that he sees is the flash and his mm-hmm. own reflection in the window because he can't take a picture out that window. It won't work. Everyone's no. trying to take pictures of an airplane window. Uh, another nice touch. Uh, so he then grabs, because the whole plane is chaos at this point. Oh, like the baggage compartment things are popping open. Yeah, Stuff yeah. is falling. There's air canisters rolling down the aisle. He grabs one of them, busts the whole thing open, busts the window. Cracks Everyone's the window. freaking out more. 
Yeah, he then does the leaning outside, cool William Shatner shot because mm-hmm. uh, he has the gun from the air marshal in front of him. Yeah. He's that fat, weird guy. Air marshal's grabbing onto him because he gets sucked through the window. Yeah, yeah. So then he's trying to aim his gun at the gremlin, and the gremlin then walks up to him and I think bites the gun in half. Yeah, it breaks it in half. Yeah, which is cool. And then puts his hand over John Lithgow's face and kind of holds it for Palms a while. It, yeah. And then the alien does like the little finger yep. movement. Yeah, that's the Delta Airlines. You can't smoke. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, a few people know that's how that redhead got her start was yeah. <laughs> as the gremlin from Charlotte's in the she movie. Cleans up real nice. <laughs> so yeah, this this gremlin has got some sass, man. And then the gremlin looks and sees that they're going through the clouds. Yeah, that they're that landing. So he's like, "Well, I guess I can't do this now." And then he takes off. He flies away in, in like a, nice a spiral. spiral. Yeah, yeah, which is strange because. I always thought it was lame in the original, the way that the Abominable Snowman kind of like floated away and kind of yeah. like could fly. So I like that this gremlin was more grounded, mm-hmm. but then at the end he just took off. Yeah. Maybe that's the way these stories were really originally connected is maybe this is what happens mm-hmm. after a while when you turn young, after playing mm-hmm. Kick the Can, is you once you've had all the 12-year-old sex you can handle, you just turn into that gremlin. Maybe... This gremlin that we saw was the one from the original after having kicked the can. <laughs> That's what baby gremlins look <laughs> this like? This is the, like the young gremlin, and then they get all puffy and hairy. Mm-hmm. It also was good friends with Jack Dempsey. Yeah. All right, so... John Lithgow's face covered in slime. It's super gross. Yeah, yeah, which I thought like the slime was going to be, be the big reveal for like, oh, that's how they proved he's telling the mm-hmm. truth. But it's the exact same sequence where, well, I guess guessing this time, this time around he explains, like, I'm a hero, as he's looking directly at the mm-hmm. camera in a stretcher. But I'm a hero, but I'm a hero. And he's being taken off. And then a longer sequence mm-hmm. than the original uh, with like the mechanics coming around, looking at the wing, going, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, no, it's the this mechanic who looks just like Jerry Seinfeld. Sure. Holy Toledo. <laughs> Look at that wreckage, which claws. I remember we both didn't like that reveal in the first one. Like, oh, it turns out he was right. Mm-hmm. It was that thing. And just like to double down on it in this way and have yeah. it even a longer sequence, it's like, eh, that's not great. Yeah. Uh, but. He's taken away, and all is well. And that's just the end of the movie, isn't it, Cork? That's the end of the movie. Roll credits. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait, is there a, a song that plays in the ambulance, as is the custom? Yeah, you, they turn off the siren in the ambulance because, like, oh, we don't need to bother with this stuff. Let's You're crank cool. up a little bit of CCR, everybody. Wow. Little Midnight Where have special. I heard this song before? So there, he's riding in the ambulance, talking about, like, oh, you had quite the scare up there, huh? And, he's like, and John Lithgow's like, oh, boy, did Who's I. Who's asking this? Brad Shoemaker from Giant. <laughs> what? No, it's Dan Eckert. Um, and so then he leans back and he's like, oh, you want to see something really scary? Roll song. Twilight Zone. Roll song. Serling. Because yeah. then Serling gives his closing speech at the end. Yeah. Which is confusing to mix Burgess Meredith with Serling, but yeah. I guess you want to have that homage to the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. So here's the thing. Yeah. On the wing. Yeah. I, I want a like a blend of those two things. I want Which? the gremlin to look cool uh-huh. like he does in this. Touch He's his pretty face. Pretty cool looking gremlin, right? Yeah. But at the same time, what I liked about the gremlin in the original, they in the original, they showed too much. Right. This one, that it seems like they don't quite show enough. Oh, I, I'm always in favor of not showing enough. Well, though. here's what I like about them, and I don't know that you can convey this without showing too much, so maybe it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. I liked it in the original because it seemed like the gremlin was like kind of 
messing around and was like surprised. And yeah, he would, like, yeah. Look at William Shatner as he was like touching stuff. He wasn't was, evil. He was just stuff was fun. sparking, and he'd be like, "Oh, did yeah. I do that?" You know, kind of like, hmm. yeah. Instead of doing the finger wave, he would do the finger and the chin mouth, like, "Oh, yeah, yeah exactly." Yeah. And I, I like that kind of weird tone that he had, right? And I don't know that you can necessarily do it the same way twice, but I like that. Yeah. You had to have liked this version of this, though, right? Yeah, this version's fun. What are you giving it? I would give this one probably, we'll give it a seven. Yeah. Okay, I'm giving it an eight. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's up there. It's I the mean, strongest segment, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I'm trying to think, like, if you hadn't seen any of the Twilight Zone, I still think the It's a Good Life segment would stand out to you as being memorable. But John Lithgow just does such an awesome job. Even if it is so much more over the top than it needs to be, mm-hmm. uh, and he is profusely sweating throughout the yeah. entire thing, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, simple storyline. I think there are a couple smart additions, like him being, you know, a computer scientist or whatever the hell is going on mm-hmm. there, and super logical. Not having a wife is a nice touch. Yeah, uh, yeah, it felt streamlined, yeah. well directed. And, and and the thing is, I can tell you, like, because I was a kid when I saw this Please. the first time, having not seen either of the original episodes. Uh huh. The it's a good life, just a dud. You got gotcha. it. I got gotcha. it. As a time at the time, it was not memorable at all. The thing on the wing was like, this was the coolest part of yeah. the movie. Good, good. I it, yeah, maybe they knew that, and that's why they ended it with it. Like, let's leave them on a strong note. Although they don't really end on the strong note because does it tarnish the segment at all that it ends with the dumbest punchline of <laughs> Dan Aykroyd driving a? F&M now ambulance. he's driving that. He's like the Scatman Crothers of. Yeah, they're showing people ghoulish faces. The faces of good and evil forever at war. Yeah. yeah. Showing them his evil face. Why not just eat him? If he's like, if it's for sustenance, why do you have to be like, you want to see something scary? Is it like yeah. a, he gets a thrill out of it? Out of I, seeing I scared people? In, and then, so, I, I'm going to say this. Are we to believe that Dan Aykroyd got a job as a paramedic? Trained for trained months. Trained specifically so that is this something he does all the time like do people wonder you know we're looking at your logbook and it shows that maybe 75 percent of the passengers that you admit make it to the hospital which is you mm-hmm. know more than half but you're doing still, a good job no one's saying you're doing a bad it's not a hundred percent maybe we're the the remaining 25 percent what's going on with those yeah i would wonder that and you always seem to want people that are scared you always request the scared patients. Well, or steer people into a conversation when right. you're just going on some random road trip. Maybe that was like he was getting a ride to paramedic school <laughs> when he was first starting out on his journey uh-huh. to become yeah. the and scariest f- paramedic around. And for the last time, Dan, you can't play CCR in the ambulance. I'm taking this tape. I'm confiscating it. Why do we even have a tape player in the ambulance? It seems like a terrible idea. Get this rocking set up. If you really want to, you can hum or whistle the music. Mm -hmm. It's fine. I know you're a good whistler. (laughs) I just don't get it. All right. That was, it's it's such a dumb. Why, why end on that note? Yeah. You don't have to do it. Like, I know they want to bookend the thing with something, but F it. Just the dumbest gag. That mm-hmm. makes no sense. I wonder if they felt compelled to this, and I'm just making this up as I go along now. Please. I'm just thinking about it. I wonder if they're doing that because they wanted some kind of, like you said, bookending. Mm-hmm. And the original show, that would be Rod Serling. Right. Coming in and introducing sure. the thing. This one, 
not only didn't have the thing uh-huh. to introduce because these are all like separate little vignettes. Right. But we also don't have the luxury of having Rod Serling available to do that. So mm-hmm. there's like two strikes against it, but they still want to kind of have that ease people into it tone. Right. Yeah, I guess that could be. But then they they just did it in the worst possible way. They should have just had Burgess Meredith come out and be like, hey, I'm Burgess Meredith. It really would have been nice. Maybe they're trying to appeal to a younger crowd. Like, hey, kids are like comedies these days. Let's get these two wacky comedians uh-huh. to kind of sort of be funny. Yeah, people I like guess. Al Brooks. <laughs> people love Al Brooks. You kidding me? He's the star of the world. Uh, so all in all, are you glad that this movie exists? All in all. If you could erase it from history. Yes. Yes, I would erase it from history. Okay. Yeah. And that and so in the same breath you would erase all reboots of the Twilight Zone from history? Not necessarily. Okay. I haven't revisited any of those though. Mm-hmm. Cuz before I rewatched it, I was like, "Oh, Twilight Zone the movie is it's probably not going to be as good as I remember it." Mm-hmm. But it's still probably going to hold up pretty well. And having just watched it is it not it doesn't hold up very well at all. This is just not a good movie. I was excited like i said like when i heard the theme song playing in the beginning mm-hmm. i was like man back in the twilight zone my good buddy cork this is gonna be great yep uh and then those first two segments were so rough but yeah. the back end i really enjoyed watching those i thought it was a great time yeah it gets better uh-huh. but i think the the first two are so crappy and the, why not the third one is just terrible too and i'm not sorry i disagree on the third one but it's like if you have some good segments no movie is easier to re-edit and reshoot than this. Like, they must have tested it. Mm-hmm. All the audience must have been like, dear God, those first two segments suck. What are you doing? Don't well, the, maybe they're like you and I. We have a difference of opinion. Because I thought the third one sucked, too. So maybe so maybe the audience just thought the entire movie sucked? Maybe they should have just stretched out Nightmare at 20,000 feet. <laughs> Would have been sweet. Entire... All right. And you think they made a bad call? Which episodes do you think they should have brought back? Ooh, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about this. Um, not necessarily just like oh the best ones of course no but no, which no. ones do you think would have been ripe for like a, a good condensed movie form? i think the fear <laughs> really yeah i think that that would have been Why? really cool because you could kind of explore that one do something different maybe you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to have the reveal be that the aliens are uh two inches tall but <laughs> they could be you know what i mean like it seems like that's a really tense fun episode yeah yeah pretty theatrical shot narrow in the sky. In the sky. Yeah, something small like that. Yeah. Um, even though it's still plane themed, my mind went to um Dear God, what's it called? The time traveling plane. Mm. It's been a couple months since we've recorded these. I forget months. the name of that episode. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but like it's just I always said that it was so right for a sequel and it just constantly descending and having better special effects for those dinosaurs would have been nice. Mm-hmm. It's really just infinite possibilities with that one. So it's like they could have had that storyline, but just completely different scenarios that they would descend from the clouds into yeah traveling through time you know the new exhibit mm-hmm. could be super cool sure they should have just should have oh. done one of the dummy episodes i mean they more or less did with the references to the puppets not not i mean i guess they didn't but just having those references to the dummies about? at least because the lady had the dummy the little girl had the dummy on the airplane yeah. which the big uh guy was then like holding later on there's also another dummy. There's a puppet in um, the second segment, the kick the can. So at least they had little homages to the dummy. Hmm. But do you really want a third FN dummy sequence? I wouldn't say that those were the same as the dummies. Okay. Well, you're right. It's not the same storyline, but uh, the hunt would have been great. Oh, my God. I want to see Jeff Myrtlebank in Congress. I want to see Jeff Myrtlebank in Congress. 
I'm the Rockabilly Kid. <laughs> All right, are we done here? I think we're done. When's the next time we're going to do a special? Well, what would you give this movie as a whole? Oh, so great don't, question. Don't, great question. Don't add up the scores we've given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and average them out. I think that's unfair. So right. don't do that, right. people, because we're each one is being weighed differently according Absolutely. to the algorithm that we created. Shall remain in secret. I have a number in my head. Do you have a number in your head? I have a number in my head. I'm going to put it on my hands. I'm going to put it on my hand, and then I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to say the number right after that. So we're giving it three fingers. Is that the three? Bank. Okay. Myrtle Bank. Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. One, One, two, two, three, five. You also gave it a five. I gave it a five. God damn it, Cork. Our brains are aligned. I know. This is just a great day for Jeff and Ben. Yeah, we should keep doing this forever. Loving it. Let's never stop. Let's... Uh, I have a lot of ideas of future episodes for bonus stuff. Okay. I have a whole thing on my phone. A whole thing on your phone. I, w- I would love to do more because I enjoy doing the show and I hope everyone likes to listen to it. This was a really long one, but so let's it's keep it going. Whole, it's a whole movie. Come on. Yeah, we got a lot to digest. All right, so thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we will most likely be back in the future. Okay. Um, subscribe from us, please. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this dumb thing. And until next time, Bye-bye. try that. I love myself. Uh, uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, uh, the movie. Dibba 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 dibba. Movie. Movie.